from the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. This is part of our Everything You Need to Know About Pastoring series, with today's focus on rural churches. Host Leith Anderson, NAE President, talks with Paul Jorgensen and Martin Allen, pastors at Cornerstone Church in Litchfield, Minnesota. Today's conversation is brought to you by Belhaven University, preparing students academically and spiritually to serve Christ Jesus in their careers, in human relationships, and in the world of ideas. Located in Jackson, Mississippi, Belhaven offers 70 areas of study, including academic majors and concentrations across a full spectrum of disciplines, as well as the new Master of Ministry Leadership Program. Be a transformational leader. More at belhaven.edu. And now, let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, here with Paul Jorgensen and Martin Allen. Paul has been the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church in Litchfield, Minnesota for the past eight years. And prior to this, he and his wife, Sharon, served with World Venture as church planters in Austria. We also have with us Martin Allen, who has been a pastor at Cornerstone for over six years, first serving as worship pastor and now as executive pastor. Previously, he was president of Worship Foundations International, a ministry strengthening and encouraging artists and musicians. Cornerstone Church helped start and host a conference for rural church pastors, which has been extremely well received. Paul and Martin are not only leading a rural church, but they are also bringing together and helping equip other rural church pastors. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank you, Lee. It's great to be here. All right, Paul, let's start with you. Why don't you give us a glimpse into the context of Cornerstone Church? Just tell us all about it. Uh, history, kind of community that you're in, how many people attend, that type of thing. Okay. Um, we are in Litchfield, Minnesota, which is a small town about 60 miles west of Minneapolis in a rural agricultural and partially forested area. The, the town itself has about 6,700 people. So as small towns go, be a little bit of a larger small town. Cornerstone Church was started in 1951 by 14 people who wanted a Baptist church and uh, got started in someone's living room, grew, I think, slowly over the years, but in, in a healthy way and, uh, you know, built buildings, pastors came and went. In the early 2000s, the leadership of the church, and at the time they were about 150 people, uh, felt that God was calling them to be more than simply a local town church. They felt that God was calling them to be a regional church. Really weren't sure what that meant, but began to move in that direction and decided to focus on a couple of things. They wanted to be a church of outreach and a church of evangelism and a church of prayer. And these were three really important values to them. In addition to that, they said, we feel that we have been called to reach families, uh, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s who have kids. And while we can't reach everybody, we want to reach somebody. And uh, those are the people we're going to go for. And so they began to work specifically in that area. One thing led to another. They moved to a new building. They changed the name from First Baptist Church to Cornerstone Church. And basically, we've been watching God do an amazing work in this area. At this point, uh, not only do we see people from Litchfield, but we're really seeing people getting involved from five separate counties. And in addition to that, uh, Sunday, we're planning on starting our. Um, our, our first site beyond this church here. 
All right. Prior to being a rural pastor here in the United States, you, still Paul, you, you planted churches in Austria. Mm-hmm. So yeah. tell us about your experience in Austria and how did that prepare you for ministry in rural America? Well, I think the first thing is that um, the way it worked out is God called us to small towns in Austria. Now, granted, the landscape is very different than it is in central Minnesota, but uh People, even with a different language and, and whatnot, are, are, are pretty much the same. And I've found that in terms of worldview and, and how people do life, people who live in southern Austria and people who live in central Minnesota tend to value many of the same things. By definition, um, the churches that we started were small. And by American standards, pretty much stayed small. There's a very different growth curve over there. And because it was a new for these people, um, they didn't have a lot of expectations about me sort of being their chaplain. They saw me as a church planter equipper. And so that that experience of simply equipping people, I was able to carry it over into um, this church here at Cornerstone and in, in other churches as I have an opportunity to minister there. Earlier in the the intro to our podcast today, I mentioned the conference for rural church pastors that uh, all of you, the the team at Cornerstone, uh, helped to start. So, Martin, let me ask you, what's that Mm -hmm. conference like? Well, first of all, it is a conference put on for leaders by leaders who are doing ministry in rural church contexts. A lot of the um, staff even a couple of the board members here at Cornerstone have spoken at that conference. And this is not a, a distillation, a, just us giving information, but it's giving our experience. We don't know everything, uh, but we do know some things. And it's really been encouraging as we've seen churches in rural communities coming together from various backgrounds, denominations, committed to helping people in rural communities know Christ. Uh, We've seen significant growth here and we know it can be done. And so that's um, in terms of the, in terms of what the conference is like, it comes a little bit from what we see the outcome. And for us, the outcome is board members of rural churches, pastors of leader uh, of rural churches driving away from this thing saying, you know what, we can do this. We can reach people. We can grow because people are going to continue to live in rural communities uh, in America. The rural communities are going to have a role uh, to play. And we've seen quite a bit of research on that, some of which might come up later. Um, But God has a plan for these people and a plan for leaders in rural communities to reach their communities. So it can be done. And it's just us basically sharing our experience with some other people. But it's a combination, encouragement, inspiration preparation, and some best practices, what we've done that has worked. I think a lot of people, when they think of church conferences, they think of mega churches in urban areas. So this is kind of different. You chose the name GROW, that it's a GROW conference. Mm-hmm. What, what prompted the creation of the GROW conference? Well, uh, maybe I can jump in on that one a yeah, little bit. First of all, the name just came. It was kind of an agricultural thing, and actually the logo for it is kind of an agricultural thing as well. It it seemed to resonate with people, but we we believe that healthy things grow. And um, 
we we believe that that's true for rural churches and small town churches. And you're right. Um, sometimes conferences can become about mega churches. The mega churches are held up as the models, and that can be more discouraging than encouraging. And we wanted people to basically get in their cars when this was all over and say, look at each other and say, you know what, we can do this. Let's go do this. And whatever this looks like in their context, whether it's a church of 40 or a church of 400 or, you know, anything in between. And you've handed this off now. So it's no longer just yes. a cornerstone project. You've got denominations and it's moving around. It's grown. It's significant, right? Yeah, what happened was there was so much interest the first year. We did it as a church with some help from a group called Transform Minnesota here in the Minnesota area the first year because we didn't know how to do a conference. And the first year we hit capacity in our building. Um, we couldn't add any more people. And so together with Transform Minnesota, we talked to some other denominations in the area and they all were very interested. And so now we have a planning team and uh, that team puts on the Grow Conference. Last year, we held it in Wilmer, Minnesota, which is not far away from us. And I believe this next year, it's moving up towards a spot in more northern Minnesota. So we're trying to move it around and get a lot of people involved. Everybody seems to know that rural areas are different from urban and suburban contexts. Uh, certainly, the politicians tell us that there are differences in votes, and the sociologists tell us there are differences in uh, income and other factors. So, Paul, what would you say are some of the main differences between rural areas and other contexts? And particularly, what are the differences that directly impact how you think about doing church? Okay. Um, yeah, that that's a really good question. Um, I haven't worked in a suburban or urban context in a really, really long time. So what I'm going to talk about is some of the characteristics of things we see, which may be different than, than urban areas and how that affects our ministry. I think one of the biggest things is we're in an area that he has either a shrinking or simply a stable population. Uh, for the most part, we cannot rely on a turnover of people in, in our area like you might see in some urban areas or suburban areas. Another issue for us is what we like to call the brain drain. Um, there aren't a lot of uh, further education opportunities, at least there aren't any in, in the town that we are in, so that young people from about age 18 to about 28 many times go someplace else because they want to get education, they want to start their career, and so we simply have to live with the fact that there's going to be maybe a hole in that demographic in our area. Now, now having said that, uh, there's been some significant work done by a man named Benjamin Winchester, who's a sociologist with the University of Minnesota, who says, while that is the case, people, when they get to their late 20s or early 30s, are moving back to rural areas because they, they love the quality of life, they love the relative safety and available and affordable housing, and this is a place where they want to raise their kids. So that's another thing that, that we deal with. Um, one of the things, when people are checking out new churches, um, sometimes they want some anonymity. They want to be able to come in, experience the worship experience, and leave without people noticing who they are. That's virtually impossible in our context. 
because everybody knows everybody. I, I can remember an experience I had years ago where my dog got into a little bit of a scrape with uh, another neighbor's dog. And two hours later, I went to a store in another part of the town. Somebody walked up to me and said, oh, I heard your dog got in a fight. I mean, word gets around really, really fast. And people know people. People have history with people. And so you don't have the anonymity that allows you to check out a ministry. So we have to figure out ways to help people guard that as much as we can. I think in a rural area, loyalty is, is a virtue. Uh, loyalty to a denomination, loyalty to a family. And that can be a strength for us. Um, people are willing to stick it out and um, just continue to be part of the group. We, we don't see people jumping like you might see in some other places. Um, two, two other things that I can think of, and Martin, maybe you'd want to jump in then too, is volunteerism is still a value here. Um, people help each other. You see people tripping over each other to help coach Little League, to be mentors in the school, to be involved with the school. A couple of years ago, we had a tornado go through the western side of town. I probably got over there 20 to 25 minutes after the tornado went through. By the time I got there, there were literally hundreds of people in those neighborhoods with chainsaws, backhoes, pickup trucks, uh, just stepping up to help. And we can tap into that as we call people to serve in our ministries. Um, probably the last thing is that from my perspective is because we are in a rural area, we don't necessarily have the ancillary ministries and resources that churches in a suburban area would have. Um, in our community, there really aren't many counselors or therapists. So if we feel that someone needs counseling, um, we either have to ask them to travel a long way or we have to provide it in some way. That includes our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, which we do, which is really the only ministry um, of its kind in the area. Benevolent ministry, helping people out who are in material need. We have to figure out ways to do that because there just aren't resources here that uh, you might find in a larger metropolitan area. So, Martin, I, I understand you're the logistical guy in, uh, in leadership at Cornerstone. So, Paul's talked a lot about these differences, and you talk about how does that actually play out in church operations? You're the guy that sort of is supposed to make it happen. Uh, what's the difference? Well, uh, a lot of it comes down to rhythm of life and scheduling, et cetera. So, one of the rhythms is planting and harvest and living in this rural community. And so, although there aren't a ton of people that work on farms, um, there are a lot of people in our church who are farmers and it does affect kind of the rhythm of life here. Also in tandem with that is, is the school year. In rural communities, life, so much of life revolves around the local schools and people take pride in their local schools. And so we have learned to embrace that when Example would be when we're, we're, Paul mentioned that we're launching a site here, actually this Sunday is our first Sunday public launch wise. Well, we would, a lot of churches launch new campaigns, emphases, or sites or campuses right after Easter because there's that ramp up, it's spring, people want new things, there's an influx of people to the church. That would just not work in our context in terms of what we've experienced because you, you ramp up and then all of a sudden everybody's at the lake. 
uh, every weekend, people are out of school, and so they just aren't in that rhythm. And so I think that, that would be one big thing for us as we really, our ministry year is school year connected and embracing the fact that there's a certain rhythm of life in this community that revolves around the farming annual cycle as well as uh, our school year. So that, that would be one of the main things. Um, for the most part, people are people and reaching people for Christ is reaching people for Christ wherever you are. Yes, there's nuances and subtleties and calendaring that needs to change, but depending on what context you're in, but just like we're talking, we're going through the book of Ephesians right now and Ephesians four, if we are as, as leaders, if we're really about empowering people, equipping people to, so that the body of Christ may be built up and we might reach unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of the son of God. Well, I'm going to give ministry away. I'm going to mobilize people that will design ministries to reach people that are just like them. So it's different and we need to be aware of it, but bottom line, uh, the same thing that has made us successful here in partnership with the Holy spirit is what makes a church successful in a suburban area. And that is people want to be on mission. They want to, they want to go with people and they want quality. They want their kids to be taken care of and they want to study the Bible. And if you're doing that, you are just like the grow Con the purpose of the grow conference. There's best practices we share, but ultimately it can be done. We can do this together. I just had a curiosity. Maybe Paul's the one I should ask this. Uh, I, I remember talking to someone who lived in a really remote part of Wyoming. And I said, you know, how do you get groceries? And how, what do you do when you go to the doctor? And the answer was, oh, it's about 100 miles. But, you know, we do that all the time. <laughs> and I, I just had no context for that at all. So when people attend church at Cornerstone, on Sunday services, I, I guess I can understand that. So they drive 30 miles, maybe more than that from these five counties. Uh, but what does that mean when it's a small group or a Bible study or youth activity? Are people willing to do this multiple times in a week? Yeah. The, uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor in, in Iowa says this. He says, people will drive two hours to play, one hour to go to work, and 30 miles to the nearest hardware store. And he says, you'll drive about <laughs> the same distance to go to church as you will to go to a hardware store. And uh, so, we, yes, we do have people that are driving a pretty significant distance. As I mentioned earlier, there are actually people driving in from five different counties to be part of the worship experiences here. Um, I think there are a couple of things. We we really try to emphasize groups and we try to get the groups to meet out in homes and in places where people are. So realistically, um, it might be somebody only driving, thinking some of our families, they drive a 45 miles each way. So it's a 90 mile round trip for them to attend worship services, but the small group that they're in is only 10 miles from their house. Well, for them, that's just a, you know, that's just a hop, skip and a jump and, and they're there. So we really try to not only have small groups spread out, but also to really equip our group leaders. Um, obviously the internet plays a role in that. We have a significant number of people who watch our services on, on the internet or on cable TV and and that type of thing in the area. But also we are trying to expand, and this is one of the reasons for putting a, a church in a, 
uh, or a site in another community, we had a significant number of people, several hundred people coming from that community. And we realized, well, they might drive 40 miles round trip to be part of our worship services. Their friends who don't know Christ might not be willing to do that. And so we made a decision to put a site there. And that seems to be helping in that whole area. But I think the big thing is the groups, helping people be in those. I'm guessing that if I want to buy a low mileage used car, I shouldn't talk to anybody who's at Cornerstone Church. It sounds like no, your dollars no, really no. run high. Okay, yeah, so don't, don't forget, we don't have traffic jams, so you don't mind driving. <laughs> I guess not. So have you found that there are particular programs or initiatives that have particularly worked well for your context? Yeah, there 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 two things that I can think of that, Martin, you may want to add something to this as well, but um, two things come immediately to mind. One is we do a worship service on Wednesday nights, uh, full bore programming. And the reason for that is, is that in our community, which is a rural community, Wednesday night is still sort of considered church night. And so for that reason, the kids are supposed to have less homework. There are no sporting events, those kinds of things. And we thought we'd tap into that and leverage that for families. And it's ended up being a very positive thing. And and sometimes we have people then who are busy on the weekends, working swing shift, that type of thing, or parents who have shared custody who lose their child every other weekend, but want to be in church with their child, they are taking advantage of Wednesday nights. Um, that's, that's one thing. Um, the other thing that's been a tremendous well, before you success, leave that, before you yeah. leave that, is, is that the same sermon and the same music as either the previous or the following weekend? It's the same service, same music, same children's program as the following weekend. So it's identical in every way. Okay. Next on your list is? And the next on our our list is something. We live in an area where, where hunting and fishing is a big part of the culture. And years ago, a couple of our men thought it would be fun to have a wild game feed. And basically, that just involves men donating uh wild game that they have shot or caught and making a meal out of it. And this has just become tremendously um, successful in terms of um, men coming, men being a part of this. It's sort of a major men's outreach for us. And in our culture, it works really well. We'll see 500, 600 men uh, be part of this event. And if we're doing that much work, we're going to share the gospel and we share the gospel and we give men a chance to respond. And every year we see quite a number of men choose to respond and put their trust in Christ. So it's probably something you wouldn't see in other parts of the country, but it's a big part of the culture here and that's very successful. So Martin, um, I wanted to hear from you how you think about growth. Recently I was looking up something on on the internet uh, for a community where a pastor led a church that, that grew pretty well. And I, I looked at the statistics and during the decade of that pastor's ministry, that population of that town had grown by a hundred percent. And I'm thinking, well, of course the church grew if the town is doubling mm-hmm. in population, but what about rural churches that are in communities and they're not growing at a hundred percent, they might be not growing or even declining. Mm-hmm. Well, we say a lot around here that healthy things grow. And so if we are building into the body of Christ, helping our people mature in the faith. They will grow. There will be spiritual fruit. There will be greater love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. But there will also be numerical growth. People will be uh, coming as a result of knowing them because healthy things grow. 
Now, obviously that growth looks different depending on your area, whether you are in an area of, you're in a town of 6,000, 7,000 people like we are, or whether you're in a town of two to 300. But bottom line is, we believe that healthy things grow. And if, if greater, even if it's, okay, we, we have 20 people coming and next year we have one new family that's driving 10 miles because they want to find life. Uh, well, that's a, you, you talk about your percentages. You have one new family onto a church of 20 people. Well, that's 25 to 30% growth. And that's, that's exciting. And that matters in the kingdom. And so it's, it's going circling back again to the rural versus suburban versus urban, the body of Christ living out the mission, being committed to the mission, wherever you are is things are going to grow. And if I could just throw in one thing that's a little bit connected to initiatives, I think this is kind of an overall value slash initiative that isn't a specific ministry, but we do take initiative a lot on it. And that is really honing in on families in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And sometimes it's, Paul mentioned that earlier, sometimes it's painful to make decisions that because it makes people, um, either those that have been going to church a long time or even those in their 40s, such as I am, uh, that have been going to church a while, might, might, might make me uncomfortable. But what can we do to connect with young families uh, whose parent, the parents are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, those that aren't in the seats yet? And so in terms of initiative, I would say that's kind of an ongoing initiative that started years ago. And that's one of the myths of rural ministry is there aren't any young people. And sometimes there are communities where, like Paul said, there's the brain drain, they go away. But there, but most times there are families out there that have uh, young kids. There are probably less of them um, in a rural community, but they are out there. And that is uh, the future of our ministry, of our church, is empowering them. Mm-hmm. You- You've both mentioned a healthy church a number of times. So, Paul, as the the lead pastor, I mean, how do you determine whether the church is healthy? And how do you sort that out? How do you sort out health from numerical size and growth? Maybe it's impossible to completely do it, but what's your take on that? Well, it's interesting. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at a whiteboard that actually has a list of indicators and then spiritual health in a separate column because we were talking about this very thing. We have some indicators we like to use. Obviously, attendance is one of them. Um, We kind of refer to it as the big three. We didn't we didn't make this up. We, we, we learned it from someone else. But first of all, just regular attendance at worship service and inviting friends to the services. That's going to be a mark of health. Secondly, being in a group. If somebody chooses to be in a small group, they're, they're certainly doing something that can help with spiritual health. And then thirdly, if they're choosing to serve in some capacity and to give in some capacity, um, those are marks of health. But in addition to that, there were just some other things, you know, and, and, and these are, are, are more ambiguous, but I think they're part of it as well. How do people respond to initiatives when, uh, I'll give you an example, we're going to be having a day coming where um, we're, we're calling people to 
whatever town they live in to spend 45 minutes to an hour just walking together in the streets of their community and paying for the praying for their town. Well, if people respond well to that initiative, that's a sign of growth. I think consistency in their lives. Um, holy living. Again, we're in a small town, so there aren't a lot of secrets. And you kind of know what's going on in people's lives. Balance. Um, you know, are they finding ways to lead balanced lives? Uh, something as simple as how many calls do we get in a week with people saying they need counseling? Uh, those kinds of things are all indicators of health. How we handle conflict, um, how we interact with each other when we disagree with each other. I think those are things that, that point to spiritual health. You talk to pastors from other churches, Paul, rural churches uh, and smaller churches. When you talk to them and when they're candid with you, um, what do you think are the, the biggest concerns or challenges that these pastors feel they're dealing with? Yeah, um, again, that's a, that's that's a really good question. I think in terms of um, you know some of the concerns they're dealing with, I think loneliness is a big one. Um, if you're in a rural church in a small town, um, you're kind of out there. Who do I have? Who can I be friends with where the friendship is safe? Who can I be transparent with those kinds of things? Who will support me um, when I'm not having such a great day? I think that's one thing. Um, I think another thing is there are social dynamics within the church. Many times the 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 congregation of a, of a rural church or a smaller church in a small town is, is a very stable congregation. So people have been there a long time. And there are dynamics, there are traditions, there's history, um, power grids that sometimes you're not even aware of, and uh, you aren't really made aware of them until you want to move the church in a direction where it might be resisted. And that can be very frustrating. That, that can be very difficult. Sometimes just the expectations of the members of the church on what the pastor should do, what the pastor should be. Um, I can think of one friend of mine, he was a pastor in a small rural church who was expected to visit everyone in the church who was in the hospital every day. Um, the trouble was his congregation was an older congregation. So quite often someone was in the hospital and there wasn't a hospital in their town. There was one that was 75 miles to the west and one that was 75 miles to the east. And so there would be days when he literally would be making a 300-mile you know, round trip to visit everyone who is in the hospital. Expectations not only of pastors, but also of their, their spouses or of their children. You know, being uh, in a small church, the board is key. I mean, the, the, the leaders of the church, the the elected el uh, elders or deacons or trustees, whatever you call them, and to be unified with them sometimes is difficult. Uh, and um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. And then not last, and uh, last but certainly not least, I think finances as well. Um, many times in a rural town, the, the, the income level just simply is lower or it's, it's unpredictable. Uh, farmers don't really know what what the income is going to look like until the very end of the growing season. And there are so many factors that they can't control in terms of their income. And so all those things can combine to um, create concerns for a rural pastor that uh, might not be part of being in, a, in an urban or suburban situation. Martin, this seems to mean that there's some challenges in recruiting 
pastors mm-hmm. to rural areas, especially if they find out they've got to drive 75 miles in two different directions <laughs> to go to a hospital to visit people. So is it a problem recruiting excellent pastors compared to urban and, and suburban context? I remember talking to uh, some denominational executives who said that in their metropolitan area, they had more pastors than churches or openings. Mm-hmm. And in their outstate area, there was an enormous shortage of pastors. So is it a different kind of challenge to get a pastor into a rural area? Well, I would say yes. It is a for sure a different kind of challenge. And I, I would actually have a, a question for you, Lee, just gut response. When you say excellent pastor, how, how would you define excellent? I would say an excellent pastor is someone who fits the context very well and does what pastors are supposed to do, and that is teach the Bible and love the people, but it's got to be contextualized and the person's got to fit. Okay. Good. So going with that, uh, contextualize some of the challenge is that so we, if we want to reach those in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, I want to have staff that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, right? And so some of it's is uh, it might be someone thinking, you know what, there's no way I can do ministry out there, right, if they don't live out there. And so the recruiting is challenged because people that are of younger generations, they like, not all, but a lot of them like having a uh, Starbucks nearby or a Target nearby, and they're going to go on a map and they're going to say, okay, where's the nearest whatever it is that they enjoy? Um, caribou or whatever. And so it it for sure is a challenge and we have to work at it. However, I have found that, again, just like the people, uh, excellent pastors are looking for churches that are 100% committed to the gospel, the mission of the church. There's even high expectations and they're they're looking for that no matter where the church is. And I would say also, once we've, we've started to have a little bit of momentum, I mean, it's hard to get started, the, the kind of the hiring uh, process. And of course, this happens, again, Cornerstone, as, as Paul described, uh, not too many years ago, it was 150, 200 people and a small staff, and you start to gain some momentum, but every hire should be your best hire, right? That the, the most recent hire sets the bar for future hires. And so I, I think it is difficult, but if you have a church that is healthy, that is committed to the mission and uh, reaching people, staff are gonna wanna be a part of that. They're gonna be wanna be a part of that team. The challenge is just communicating it. And also circling back to the rural community thing, I think there's a lot of excellent pastors out there who have young kids and they are looking for again good schools safety a little more space strong community their kids can ride their bike around and it's safe and so i think there are there are a lot of positives and i i have to sell it but at the same time there's um if we're if a church is committed to a mission people you know young young excellent pastors are gonna be drawn to it because again like you say it's teaching the Bible and loving people. And so if we're, if we have a history of teaching the Bible and loving people, uh, that is going to draw new staff. I have one last question for both of you, but before that, I'd just like to insert um, for those who 
are joining us on our podcast that if you're interested, the NAE has a magazine issue, Evangelicals is the name of our magazine, and the whole issue is about rural churches. And for those that want to make a connection and learn even more about this topic, you can find that at nae.net slash magazine, nae.net slash magazine. So my last question for both of you, what excites you most about ministering in rural areas? Martin, what excites you the most? Paul, what excites you the most? Well, what excites me the most is the people that I work with, the people that I'm serving, and the mission that God has given us. Because the vision that we have, and we don't have time to go into it now, to reach rural communities all over the upper Midwest with the gospel in partnership with other churches that are already in those communities is exciting. And that's, I just, I just, I know it's simple, but I, I love these people. I love the people that God, with whom God has placed me. And so, but it, it really, it, uh, that mission piece, vision piece is what excites me most about um, serving people in my community, my community and surrounding area. Yeah, I, I think for me, just seeing lives transform, but I'm going to go rural and small town and just something totally, totally different. I love being able to drive my car and see 30 to 40 deer run across the highway a quarter of a mile in front of me. I love looking out my backyard and seeing a fox in the backyard. Tonight, Sharon and I are going to go to the high school football game, even though we don't have kids in high school, and we'll get there, and people up in the stands will wave at us and say, come on and sit up here with us. And I love the way cornfields and trees look this time of year when the sun is setting. They turn this gold that is just absolutely amazing. That's all part of living in a rural context, and getting to experience that and watch God change lives is just amazing to me. I love it. Our guests on today's conversation have been Paul Jorgensen and Martin Allen, pastors at Cornerstone Church in Litchfield, Minnesota. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to you both. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.